history, the Christian church has been mercilessly persecuted, and it continues now in countries all over the world. Today, a message of encouragement in the face of persecution. This is Evidence and Answers with scholar, author, and speaker, Pat Zuckerman. I'm Kevin Harris. Welcome to Evidence and Answers. This is a radio and podcast program that gives reasons for faith in Christ and addresses the big questions of life. Pat deals with topics like atheism, Zen Buddhism, Darwinian evolution, and Islam. And we have some of the best resources available on these topics at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. There you can download past programs featuring interviews with leading scholars, as well as Dr. Zugarin's books and articles. That's at evidenceandanswers.org. Now let's go to Pat Zugarin before a live audience as he addresses persecution. Many countries in this world in which Christians continue to be persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I was in several of those countries, and I was finally exiting, coming back home. And as I was going through immigration, the soldier there looked at my passport, and then he called two of his buddies over, and they looked at it, and then they came, and they said, would you come with us? And I said, is there a problem? And they said, come with us. And so I followed them to this room in the back of the immigrations, and I sat down, and about six other soldiers walked in. And they began to question me, why are you here? What are you doing? What's your name? On and on. Where did you come from? Who are your parents? Where are they from? I said, well, the United States, United States. They said, where's your luggage? And I said, it's on the plane. And they said, all right. So they went and got my luggage and they came and they just started ransacking through my luggage. And in there they found my Bible and they said, do you believe in Jesus? And I said, yes, I do. And so they began to question me some more and then they took out all my books and began reading through all my books and they found my journal. I guess that was like a gold mine. You know, so six people began reading through my journal. Good thing I didn't have any uh, personal thoughts in there. It was mostly just cataloging uh, where I had been in the Middle East, fortunately. And so they were looking through that. Uh, after about an hour and a half, I was getting really irritated. And so I just walked over to my suitcase and I began folding my clothes. And they were asking me questions, but I wasn't answering anymore. I was just folding my clothes. I was really disgusted at this point and eventually one of the soldiers talked to me and eventually they let me go and as I was leaving I remember I was just really upset at the whole situation feeling like I had been violated or something raped you know guys throwing around my underwear and stuff all over the place and then I went to Japan for a brief moment to visit my mother one of the cities we went to was Nagasaki now Nagasaki is famous because that's one of the cities in which the US dropped the atom bomb But it's also famous because in the late 1500s, the Tokugawa shogunate outlawed Christianity and banished Westerners from Japan. And in an attempt to unify Japan, they made Shinto the national religion and outlawed Christianity. And they started persecuting Christians throughout the country of Japan. Thousands of Christians lost their lives and they had to go underground and many fled to the south as they were escaping the persecution. At this point, many believe about 10% of Japan had become Christian, and many samurai had put away their swords and had become Christians and began worshiping Jesus Christ. Well, Nagasaki is one of the cities in which there were many, many Christians, and the shogunate came with their army, and they began to interrogate the village. And here in Nagasaki in 1597, is where some of the first Christian martyrs, the martyrdom of 26 Christians took place on February 5th, 1597. 
And here, today, is a memorial built there in Nagasaki on the mount where these Christians were crucified. Six were foreign Jesuit priests from Spain, and the rest were Japanese citizens. They were first captured, put in jail, and beaten. Then they were paraded through the city for several weeks, and people were encouraged to abuse them and taunt them and while they were marching through the streets. And during the whole several weeks while they were being marched through the streets, they were constantly being told, renounce your faith in Christ, turn away and you can go home. But they would not. Come the day, February 5th, they were hung on a cross and eventually they were pierced through with spears. Now, if you look at this monument very carefully, you're gonna see three people who look shorter than the rest. There are three children who also died as martyrs in the faith. One of them was a 13-year-old boy named Thomas Kozaki. And he was told, you're only 13 years old. Go home. You've got the rest of your life ahead of you. Don't waste your life today and die. Go home. And he refused. He said, no, I would rather, I will not reject Christ and I would rather die here with my friends today than renounce my faith. Only at 13 years old. Now the night before he died, he wrote this very brief but very powerful letter to his mother on the eve of his execution. It's as powerful today as it was then. And he wrote this, Dear Mother, Dad and I are going to heaven. There we shall wait for you. Do not be discouraged, even if all the priests are killed. Bear all sorrow for our Lord, and do not forget you are now on the true road to heaven. You must not put my smaller brothers in pagan families. Educate them yourself. These are the dying words of father and son. Goodbye, mother dear, goodbye. You know, and after reading such stories and my experience in these closed countries in which our brothers and sisters continue to suffer great persecution, I was reminded that persecution and suffering really is part of the Christian life. You know, being in a free country like America, and there's no greater country than America today. It's probably the greatest country to live in. It's a great time to be alive in America. But being in a free country, there's also a danger that our faith may become lazy and apathetic because of the freedom that we have. And we become so used to being light that when it comes time to stand for God's truth, that we are afraid because we don't want to be criticized or labeled intolerant or arrogant. We actually become afraid of the flack that we may receive when it is necessary for us to stand for God's truth in a society that is beginning to compromise upon the values and the beliefs that once made it great. And we need to be reminded that if we're going to live for Christ and stand for God's truth in a fallen world that's in rebellion to God, we're going to suffer persecution. Now, in our country, it may not be the physical kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters face throughout the world. In our country, the persecution may be in the form of criticism or being ostracized from friends and families and at social events or maybe not receiving the raise or the job position that you are so rightly uh, entitled and deserve. But we all have to remember that persecution and suffering is a part of the Christian life. It's part of living for Christ. You know, Jesus... God incarnate, the most loving man who ever set foot upon the earth. Remember, he was crucified for the message that he preached. All the apostles suffered persecution. Only John lived to a ripe old age, but even he 
suffered incredible amounts of persecution for what he taught. And so when persecution comes, when we are criticized for what we believe, when it comes to receiving flat for our testimony for Jesus Christ, it's all important how we encounter and how we face persecution and suffering. Our attitude and our mindset is absolutely key. It can embitter you or it can refine and strengthen your faith. Your mindset, understanding God's truth, and your attitude is absolutely key. Now, Peter tells us when persecution, when hard times come for your faith in Jesus Christ, here is how we are to face those times in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, remember the context in which Peter is writing. They are suffering under the persecution of Emperor Nero. If you know your history, Nero is one of the most wicked and evil emperors of the Roman Empire. And it is under him that one of the bloodiest times of persecution for the church occurred. And Peter writes this in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now the first thing Peter says when difficult times come, when persecution and criticism comes, he says, don't be surprised, but rejoice. Oh, by the way, this is Paul Miki. He is another one who was crucified there on that hill. He's famous in that while he was hanging there in the last several moments up until he was pierced through with a spear, he continued to preach the gospel. So as he was hung there being humiliated in that village, uh, hanging on the cross, he continued to preach the gospel to all the people who were there witnessing his execution. And up to the moment the pierce stabbed right through his chest, uh, he continued to preach. Peter says, do not be surprised, but rejoice. He says here, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful, or in some of your translations, it reads the fiery ordeal that you are suffering. Now the word fiery ordeal there, the Greek word there is pyrose. It's a verb, pyrose. It comes from the Greek word pyro. You recognize that word? That's where we get pyromaniac from. The reason Peter may be using this verb is because at this time, the way Nero killed the Christians, he would tie them to a stake, and then he would cover them in tar and pitch. And while they're alive, he would set them on fire at night, and they would be used to line up and light up his imperial gardens. So that may be the reason why Peter is using this verb here, pyrose, by the fiery ordeal or the painful trial that you are suffering. Peter says, don't be surprised if something strange is happening to you. Hey, that's part of the Christian life. 1 Timothy 3.12, Paul says this, Everyone who seeks to live a godly life shall suffer persecution. It's part of the Christian life. And we shouldn't be surprised. Why not? Well, we live in a fallen world filled with sinful people who are in rebellion to God, who want to live life their own way, in complete disregard for God and His laws. Also, 1 John 5.19 says, For we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So right now, temporarily, Satan has control and dominion of, this, of the systems of this world. So is it any wonder that a 
world system controlled by the evil one in opposition to God, filled with sinful people in rebellion to God, would persecute or be antagonistic to the people of God should they be living for God and presenting and living out the message of Jesus Christ. We should not be surprised at all when it happens. And Peter says here, when that time comes, don't be embittered, don't be afraid, rejoice, for you share in the sufferings of Christ. Paul here says that you participate or you share in the sufferings of Christ. The Greek word there is koinonio. You recognize that word? The root word is koinonia. It means a very close and intimate relationship. It's the fellowship that we have together as believers. It's the fellowship we have with Christ, which grows even stronger in times of suffering and persecution. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ means one day we will participate when our day to enter into glory comes. And Paul says, know that you are blessed for God's spirit rests upon you. You know, just recently, a good friend of mine died. He just suddenly passed away. He's healthier than I am. Same age, we're both from Hawaii, and he just passed away. Went jogging one night, as he always does, and he just suddenly passed away like that. Well, he was an atheist, and I had shared the gospel with him on several occasions, and he clearly rejected it. Well, he had died, his family was in town, and they asked me to do the funeral. And one of the things that they were trying to tell me in an indirect way, you know, the Asian way, right, kind of indirect, is that please say he's in heaven. Please say that. And we all knew deep down in our hearts that he had rejected Christ. Now, maybe he did accept Christ at that last moment. I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is that when I had shared the gospel with him, he clearly said, no, thank you. And so I knew that they were trying to tell me in the indirect way, please say he's in heaven. Please say we're going to see him again. And I didn't know if I could. I didn't want to present any kind of false hope. I didn't want to present any kind of false message. I usually have a, the same message at funerals, and it's usually from John chapter 14. And so looking out at the audience, knowing what they believed, knowing that many non-Christians were there, it came my turn to preach the message. It was kind of funny, you know, this funeral. At the last moment, his father decided to be the MC, felt that's something he had to do, and I said, okay. And then it came time for the father to share about his son. And he told a story about when his son came to dinner and he didn't have his napkin. And so what his son did is he took off his shirt and he said, this is my napkin. And as he's telling the story, he took off his shirt. He, so he's speaking at the funeral on the podium. And this is the mainland, okay? This is not Hawaii, Samoa. The Hawaii mainland. So he has no shirt and he's preaching and he's emceeing. And so he has no shirt on, you know. And so I'm wondering, man, I got to follow this guy? Wow, what am I saying? My turn to come up and speak. And looking at the family, I began with John 14, verse 1, where Jesus said, uh, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's mansion are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place there for you. And so I began the sermon saying, God has a place prepared for us. In his eternal mansion, there is a place prepared. We're not going to some place foreign. We're actually coming home. And everyone's looking at me and smiling, going, all right, preach it, brother, go. And I said, and God has provided the way there. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And when I read that verse, I saw the heads of all the family members going on like this. You know, and that broke my heart. You know, I looked at the widow who's a good friend of mine, and her head was just down. And I said, there's only one way there. And... Uh, it's through Jesus Christ and, and if 
you know, so-and-so were here today. If you could peek through the windows of eternity, he'd tell you that right now. He'd want you to know that. And there's only one way. That's through Jesus Christ. And here's why. You know, it broke my heart to, to, to have to see their heads go down like that. Uh, other, other words to say. Uh, but uh, that's what the message preached. It, it was a tough message for me to preach. And when I was done, I was walking down the halls. And I caught some flack. Some of the people criticized me for saying point number two. They said, you were going great on point number one. When you got to point number two, man, I had to stop listening to you already. How can you say that kind of uh, on and on and on? And several people came and were very critical of the whole thing. Uh, many were appreciative in which the spirit it came across, but they just did not like the message that was presented. And it caught me totally off guard. You know, it just caught me totally off guard. I was like, wow, how can you be saying this to me? Especially at this time. My gosh, you know. Um, and then I remembered this passage and I remembered, you know what? I shouldn't be surprised for receiving criticism and flack for presenting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a fallen world in which people want to believe whatever they want, live any way they want with no disregard for God. It's something I should not really be afraid of or something that I should be surprised at. And we in America, we often forget, right, that persecution, criticism for our faith in Christ is just part of the Christian life. It's part of that refining process that makes us more like Christ. And so, today, ask yourself, have you received criticism or met resistance for your faith in Christ? You know, if not, perhaps consider maybe you're not engaging the non-Christian world for Jesus Christ. As we impact and move into enemy territory, hostility gets much greater. And we should be expecting some resistance, some criticism for the testimony we have for Jesus Christ. You know, I know of men who I recently spoke to who came up to me and said, you know, I've worked for years at this school or at this company, years, and no one knows I'm a Christian. You know? In our time, in our day, we cannot afford to keep silent and retreat behind the walls of the church. Okay, but God has called us to engage our culture for Christ. And when we do, we can expect some resistance, some persecution for our testimony for Jesus Christ. So number one, Peter says, don't be surprised, okay, but rejoice. Okay, number two, he says, you need to know the reason for your suffering. And it should not be for sinful behavior. It should be because of your testimony for Jesus Christ. Okay, your suffering should not be because of sinful behavior. He says here, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You know, if you're taking extra long lunch breaks and the boss reprimands you, you know, you shouldn't be sitting there going, persecution, persecution, I'm suffering for Jesus. Paul is saying, it, if you suffer for the name of Christ, it shouldn't be because of sinful behavior. Take a look and examine yourself. If you're suffering because you bear the name of Christ and you're living for Christ, then he says, do not be ashamed. In fact, that is a time to rejoice because you bear the name of Christ. He says, praise God. In other words, consider your suffering a badge of honor. You're being identified with Christ. If you suffer because you live for Christ, what's happening is this. People are actually seeing Jesus Christ in you. And they're identifying you with Jesus Christ. 
The whole theme of 1 Peter is this. You are strangers in a foreign land. Heaven is your real home. We're strangers here. We're just passing through. Because we're strangers in a foreign land, because we live in a different, according to the rules of a different kingdom, and we're invading enemy territory, we're going to suffer persecution. That's the whole theme of 1 Peter. And if you're suffering because of your testimony for Christ, then he says, rejoice. People are seeing Jesus Christ in you. And those in rebellion to God, of course, are going to criticize you for your faith and your walk with Jesus Christ. Those who are seeking God, they'll be coming and looking for you. So when you suffer criticism, when you suffer persecution, it ought to be because of your testimony for Christ. And when that happens, Peter says, don't be bitter about it. Rejoice, because people see Christ in you. You're reflecting the character of Christ, and that's why you're receiving this. As I close, I want to share with you one story here. You know, wherever I go in the world, our brothers and sisters who suffer persecution for the name of Christ, there's a tremendous vibrancy and a joy in their life. I can't explain how it comes. It's something supernatural that they have that I often find missing in my life. That's why I find it such a joy to be around them. This is Pastor Johnson in Uganda. Pastor Johnson ministers in a Muslim neighborhood there in Uganda. And I remember speaking with Pastor Johnson and I asked him about his ministry there in Uganda. And he said when he began, he was a witch doctor and he came to Christ. And when he began, he believed God called him to this Muslim town to share the gospel. And so he went into this Muslim town. And for five years, he only had five, five or six people in his congregation. That's all he had. Well, one day he was doing an outdoor evangelistic meeting when the Muslim radicals threw a grenade at him and the thing exploded. And he was severely injured and five children were killed and two adults. Because the grenade landed close to him, he got the shrapnel in his legs and up in his torso area. But those who were farther away got it right in the face and in the head, and they were killed. Well, he was for over a year in the hospital, and they were taking the shrapnel out of him. Some of it was too close to his heart. They could not get to it. And so he still has some shrapnel in his body today. And so when he got out of the hospital, he asked the Lord, you want me to stay in this town or you want me to go somewhere else? Because frankly, I want to go somewhere else. But he felt God called him to stay and serve in that Muslim town. And so he did. And today his church is over 3,000 people. And so we were there uh, training those leaders. And we are here in the pig stalls. They raise pigs here because Muslim women who come to Christ You know, in Islam, you can have up to four wives. And when they come to Christ, their lives are now in danger. Their husband's out to kill them, and they got to flee. Well, so what do they do now? Well, they're on the streets. They can either sell themselves into prostitution, or what the church does is the church provides them income, lets them work in these pig stalls here, and they get one pig. And they raise that pig, and they sell that pig, And that income allows them to buy another pig and raise it, and it allows them an income to provide for themselves. As I talk to all these women, and I talk to Pastor Johnson, there's an incredible vibrancy, an incredible joy that they have that I find missing in my life, suffering for the name of Christ. And Peter says, persecution is something we're not to be surprised by, but when it does happen, 
Coming in with the right mindset, understanding the truth of God, having the right attitude can make all the difference in the world. It's not something that should destroy and dismantle our faith. It's something that we can rejoice in for we identify with the character of Christ. It's part of the process of becoming more like him. Let's pray together. Lord, this was a tough passage that we had. We thank you for its truth. We pray that in times of of suffering and, and criticism we may receive for our testimony in your son Jesus Christ. We may approach it with the right attitude that it would not dismantle our faith, but refine us and make us more like you, an even stronger body of believers and stronger individually in our faith in your son Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers today with Pat Zuckerin. And our prayer is that we answer the hard questions that all of us ask and that we equip you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And if you're a seeker or a skeptic, we hope we've challenged you with the various evidences which support the claims of Christ. There are a multitude of resources available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Interviews with leading scholars, past shows that you can download, We deal with topics from atheism to Zen Buddhism to Islam to the occult, the cults, agnosticism, and contemporary issues which face us today. And by the way, when you purchase our resources, you keep Pat Zuckerman speaking out all over the world. Help support a quality apologetics program for radio and podcast and Pat's speaking engagements on college campuses and churches all over the world evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today, evidenceandanswers.org. For Pat Zuckerin, I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers.